0: Ah Jesus, hallelujah, Lord! Let's just bask in it a little bit longer because it's so heavy right now. Oh Jesus. <sighs> Jesus we love you Lord we thank you for your immense love God we thank you that your love covers over us we thank you Holy Spirit for your power we thank you for your guidance we thank you for wisdom we thank you for knowledge we thank you for your counsel Oh, God, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you are not a man, that you should lie. We thank you that you stick closer than a brother. Oh, God, we declare that your word is truth, that your word is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating, dividing God, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Oh, God, we lay bare before you today. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Give us ears to hear you, God. Give us ears to hear. Hallelujah, God, I thank you for the message that you've put on my heart today. I pray that it will come forth in power. I pray, oh, Lord, that it would come with signs and wonders and miracles following God. I ask, oh, Lord Jesus, that you would Continue to speak and help us to divide truth. Let your word come forth powerfully, boldly. Give us understanding. Help us to continue to gain insight from the scriptures, from those that have gone before us, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this day, Lord, because it is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Welcome to another chapel. I know you guys are here every week, so it's more like welcoming me because I'm, I'm back. I love you guys. Let's get into the message this morning. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Let's read in Ecclesiastes 7, 8. I was reading through the entire Bible For the last 90 days, that was fun. I did it twice last year, just finished it. I did October, November, December. And when I came across this passage of scripture, it just really, really resonated in my heart. And I shared a little bit of it with uh, the staff in a meeting once, kind of like a, just like a staff nuggy, staff devotional. And I feel that I was able to go back to it and turn it into a sermon. So Ecclesiastes 7-8 says the end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. Solomon challenges us to keep pressing on toward our God-given goals. When you think of the end being better than its beginning, it's not true when it comes to people that backslide or turn their back on God. When you think of Dr. Michael's Brown, Dr. Michael Brown's message, the Akharit. You guys remember that? The final end. Too many people do not think about their Akharit, the final end of what their choices, where their choices will take them. Their final end will not be better than their beginning. It is only better for us who continue to choose Jesus and follow his commands while we're going through hardships, while we're going through setbacks. By recognizing that God is working in us and through us in all situations, we can rejoice in success and prosperity and learn to trust God through failure and adversity. Too many people quit in adversity. The end of will not be better than your beginning if you quit, if you throw in the towel. The Apostle Paul, in his early church, just like him, he kept going. That is our example. We keep pressing through. We must learn to be content, whether we have a lot or a little. And no matter what seasons we are in life, you have to choose. I'm going to get through it because it's in those moments where we have to remember the end of this can be better than the beginning, especially in hardships, especially when things are tough. People will always remember how you finish something. Keep that in mind. Whether or not it started off perfect and you were awesome, how you finish something will always be what is remembered. If you started off something rocky right? If you started off something and it wasn't perfect and it needed work and you kept having setbacks, as long as the final product was finished, it's all good. I think of many examples of Bible college students. They start awesome. They start on fire. It's so exciting. Their beginning was great. And then what happens? circumstances, hardships, sin begins to entangle them. And what do they do? They throw in the towel and they quit. Their end was not better than their beginning. Whose end is always better than the beginning? Even if you've failed classes, even if you've fallen into sin and we've had to write you up, what will you be remembered for when it comes to your SUM journey? You answering the call for Bible college when you finished that you finished I'm looking at my brother right here bro you're back you could have been the one we remembered as x y and z and that is part of your testimony and never be ashamed of it but you didn't end it there you did backslide but you came back so your end is going to be better than your beginning because why what's the difference now you're going to choose to finish it amen You could use any example that you want, any type of project, your education, on your job, in a relationship, your marriage relationship. I am not saying, please do not get it twisted right now, that I'm saying that sinning along the way and compromise is acceptable as long as you make it uh, to the end by the skin of your teeth. That is not what I am saying. I am saying that you, that how you go through something a hardship, a trial, any type of season that we are facing, how we go through life will dictate what our end will be like. And every choice that we make matters. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 through 10, I use it as a devotional for this month, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weaknesses. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults, in hardships and persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That has to be our profession. We're not saying that in our weaknesses, when people are insulting us, when things are going hard and the persecutions, I don't want any of that. I'm going to roll out. I'm going to take two steps back. The only way we see the end being better than the beginning is when we endure in those times and we declare that it is God's power, his strength that is made perfect in me through that because it is not by might nor by power, but by his spirit that gets us through. Amen? Amen. So the twofold part of this message is also connecting that latter part of verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. I'm going to be talking about that because that is the key to having the end being better than your beginning. Patience or pride. There will be many instances in our life where the enemy will make us feel rushed and in a hurry when the Holy Spirit is saying, wait, wait on me. Not every time does the enemy operate that way. Sometimes he wants us to feel, in in some circumstances, he makes us feel like we have a whole bunch of time, right? But patience or pride. Patience is key in finishing well. Pride will always steal your purpose. It will always stifle God's perfect plan. Pride caused Satan to fall like lightning. Patience says, I will trust in the Lord. Pride says, I will trust in me. Patience says, I'll let God take care of it. Pride says, I'll take care of it myself. Patience says, not my will be done, but yours. Pride says, not your will be done, but mine. God hates pride. He will always oppose it but he will always give grace to the humble. If you want the grace of God in your life, walk in humility because pride is ugly and it will creep its little nasty head in your life any way it can find, any foothold that the devil can get into your heart. That is all he needs to bust the door wide open. I know I've said that before. If you do not want to experience the opposition of God, get rid of pride in your life. And what does that look like when God opposes us? You may be okay for a little bit, but not if you're really gonna wanna be close to Jesus. There will be strife, there will be anger, there will be unrest in your spirit. You may be okay and look good on the outside, but bitter within. Things are out of order. That's why as leaders and elders in the church, we are called to set things in order. Pride will prohibit that in the church. It will prohibit it in your life, in your marriage, on your job. You may be able to get away with it for a little bit, but not if you are truly seeking to stay close to Jesus. Determine to live humbly and position yourself to always allow his word to transform your heart to transform your mind. Allow it to marinate in your ears every single day. Amen. Let's turn to Psalm 119 really quick. I have so many Bible references, verses, passages, stories to to reference to. I mean, it's going to go down. We might as well just like close this and just read the Bible from front to end right now because I'm going to be referencing so many things, but I want it to just come to life in us today. Amen. But Psalm 119 has become my favorite go-to chapter to continually position my heart, my ears, my mind, my spirit before the Lord because it is one of those chapters where it's Such a heartfelt devotion, a cry to God of, Lord, don't let me stray from your commands. I want to love your statutes. I want to love your commands. I want to love what you tell me to. Uh, Away from me, evildoers, right? So let's kind of skim through it. I'm just going to keep reading through. You can follow with me. I just want us to get the gist of how we are to uh, position ourselves so that pride does not get a root in our heart. We have got to hide ourselves in Jesus. So quickly, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. When we do that, we are blessed. How can a young person stay in the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Do you think that God will allow you to be full of pride if that is your heart's desire I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Dear God, let this be the cry of our heart. You rebuke the arrogant who are accursed, those who stray from your commands. So rulers, sit together and slander me. Your servant will meditate on your decrees. Cause me to understand your precepts. When you do not understand something, pray this psalm. Cause me to understand your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. I run in the path of your commands for you have broadened my understanding. Do you guys understand where I am coming from? When you think of Saul and David, it is one of the perfect examples of pride versus patience. Saul got very very impatient, right? First Samuel chapter 13:7, Saul's end was not better than his beginning. And what did he choose? He chose pride instead of patiently waiting and trusting on the Lord. In 1 Samuel 13, 7, it says, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. And we're going to be talking about fear. Fear is going to be one of my points, and it is a very, very long point. So bear with me. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Oh, my goodness, this is an intense moment. I've already been waiting 7 days Saul is thinking to himself, "We are all afraid and people are beginning to quit." So he said, "Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings." And Saul offered up the burnt offerings himself, and just as he was finishing, making up the offer uh, handing up the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. "What have you done," asked Samuel? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come against us and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord God gave you. Uh, If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Whoo! Jesus. The end of a matter is better than the beginning only when you walk in patience. And do not allow pride to set in. David waited approximately 10 years after being anointed king to actually get the kingdom. A lack of patience and a root of pride cost Saul the throne, his kingdom, and his own demise because he did not put his trust in the Lord, but in his own strength. It looked spiritual. He gave the sacrifice. That was a spiritual act, right? It wasn't what God said he wanted him to do, though, right? Not how God wanted it to be done. Too often as Christians, we make decisions that look and sound very spiritual on the outside, but in actuality, they are rooted in pride and rebellion. Don't make it sound fluffy to me and make it all spiritual when it is you are full of pride. That is not what God said. How can we know whether we are coming to a place in life and we are doing a spiritual act that God is saying that is full of pride and religion. How do we know? How do we know not to make that mistake? I heard from God. I had that word. What do you guys think? You will not be able to discern that without healthy accountability and godly leadership in your life. There is a reason why we have Hebrews 13, 17 in the Bible. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Leaders will give an account for your life. And that is why we take our position very seriously with the fear of the Lord. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. It's easy to say you will do what this verse says on a good day. The true test to your obedience to this verse will be if you heed its advice on a bad day. It's all right, Samuel. He's thinking to himself, you know, Saul, it's all right, Samuel. I know how this works. I got it. I speak Christianese now. I know what I need to do. I know what you need to hear me say. And you know what? It's going to look spiritual enough. And I don't need you anymore. Remember, your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Do not imitate their fear. Walk in patience. It's a fruit of the spirit. Pride is sin, period. Sin separates us from God. The following three points are my observation of how being led in fear or being led in pride versus patience can manifest in our lives, being led in pride versus patience. Which one you choose to guide you will determine your end. Pride can manifest in our lives through fear, disobedience, being religious rather than than relational in our pursuit of Christ. And those are the three areas that I'm going to hone in on right now. In order for our end to be better than our beginning, we cannot allow fear, disobedience, and a religious spirit to run in and cut us off from our race. Amen? Number one, do not allow fear to cripple you. Do not allow fear to cripple your faith. When did mankind first say they were afraid? Adam and Eve, right? After they sinned. Genesis 3.8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees. And he said, where are you? That's all he asked. He showed up on the scene. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So all of a sudden now the presence of the Lord is a fearful thing. They hid because of their sin. Fear not. We walk in the righteousness of Christ, and we have nothing to fear. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. I believe there are probably over 365 fear not verses. Am I correct on that? I think that's like a fact. There's probably one fear not verse for every single day of the year. There really is. 1 John 4:18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Listen, when we are in a situation, I am not saying that things won't be scary. There will be fearful times. We have been warned. But pride will tell you to give in to the fear and run away and cower instead of patiently enduring and going through it. Fear will make a fool out of you. Isaiah 41 10 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43 1, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. So many fear not verses in Isaiah. It's a beautiful book. Read it. I want to paint a picture for you here of what it looks like to give way to fear rather than faith. When you read about the herd of pigs, remember the demon possessed man and the herd of pigs? Let's read that. Luke 8, 26 through 39. I got a lot to read, guys. We can skip, you can listen to me skim through it or you could turn to it. Luke 8, 26, 39, look at what fear allowed this region to miss out on. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across from the lake. When Jesus stepped ashore, he met this demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had worn clothes, had not worn clothes or even lived in a house, but he'd lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, and he was kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. That's a fearful sight. That would make me scared. Not what these town peoples saw and got scared of. Listen to what made them afraid. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. You would think it would be an awesome thing, right? This guy's not going to be roaming the tombs anymore. We don't have to chain him up anymore. We don't have to see him naked anymore. Dear God. Okay, so they went and told them what happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out of sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They got scared of that. He was he had clothes on now. And he was in his right mind he could probably talk to them. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Sad. Isn't that sad? Then the man from whom the demons had gone out and begged to go with him, uh, the, the guy who got set free, begged to go with Jesus, and Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town what Jesus had done for him. What do you think Jesus would have done in that region and countryside if they would have spread the word of this man's deliverance and they would have ran to Jesus's feet in awe and wonder and raised up their hands and saying, you have got to be the Messiah. Whoo, the miracles they missed out on, the salvation they missed out on, the glory of God coming down. He was standing right in front of them, God in the flesh. They asked him to leave. Do not allow fear to cripple your faith. In contrast, when you think about the story of the woman at the well, she's sitting at at the well. Jesus tells her all of her business. She could have become prideful. She could have been like, you don't know me? I ain't sleeping around. I ain't cheating on my husband. She was floored. She was in awe. Her heart was different. She didn't get scared. She ran and told all of the people in her town. In John 4, 39 through 42, many Samaritans believed Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She went out and testified. She didn't tell Jesus, mind your own business. She went and told everybody, he's told me all of my dirt. He's told he's like literally read my mail. You have got to come and hear him. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. That could have happened in the other town. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is a savior of the world. Woo! She didn't allow pride to keep her from testifying of the goodness of God. Those other people, you know why they were worried? Because those pigs, those herds, that was probably their, their livelihood. That freaked them out really bad. Do you think the Samaritan woman could have allowed pride to rise up and turn away from Jesus? Do you think her end was better than her beginning? Absolutely. Her end was way better than her beginning. Why? Because she, in, she patiently went through all of, that, all of that conversation that she was having with Jesus and all her business being exposed. And she said, I, I, want, I want your words. I want, I want the living water. And for everybody else in her town, please remember that the choices you make today will not only affect your end, but others as well. There are generations of people waiting to be impacted because of your obedience, because you're choosing to go through this life, not allowing fear to cripple your faith, not allowing fear to take back the call of God and what he has mandated over your life. There are generations of people waiting to see and experience Jesus because of your testimony. And when you give up and quit and backslide and allow fear to take that away from you, they may never see it. God has called us to make disciples of the nations. When you mess up, when you choose to backslide, when you choose to to compromise. You will never see your destiny fulfilled and not the destiny of those he assigned for you to impact. Pride is selfish, isn't it? It's all about me, myself, and I. We can only think of us four no more in this situation. Kingdom. We need to think kingdom. We need to think how how is my decision right now going to impact everybody else's life around me and those I have still yet to reach. Do you think all those martyrs that gave their life for Jesus only thought about themselves? They thought about the kingdom to come. They thought about people that were watching them. Joshua and Caleb with the spies. When you think about what Joshua and Caleb did when they came back and gave a different report than the other ten. What did the ten say? Oh, we can't do it. They brought back a fearful report. We can read in Numbers 13. Go to Numbers 13, 26. The end... Of Joshua and Caleb's life, they got an inheritance. Everybody else died in the wilderness because they allowed fear to cripple their faith. They became prideful. They didn't want. They didn't want to think past themselves at that moment. See, your end is only better than your beginning when you walk in obedience to Jesus. When you don't give way to fear. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna skim through this Numbers 13. We think we 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 see the story. Okay, they reported to the whole assembly. They showed them the fruit. We went into the land. It's flowing with milk and honey. This is awesome stuff is there. But guess what? There's giants there too. We can never take them down. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. We should go up and take possession of the land. We can surely do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We cannot attack them. They're stronger than us. Who were they trusting in at that time? Themselves. They were not trusting in the Lord, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people there are of great size, will look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And then in Joshua fourteen six. When it's time to, for Joshua to hand out the allotment of land after they possessed the promised land. Moses is out of the sea now. Joshua's in charge. Caleb, son of Jephunneh. all those other people have died. You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when the Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord has promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years Since the time he said that to Moses, while Israel moved around the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord has promised me that day. You yourself heard that when the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord uh, helping me, I will drive them out just as he said powerful oh jesus make us warriors in the land don't let us miss out on our end on the end of the matter you want us to be involved in because of fear let us speak what we see according to our convictions esther in chapter 4 told you guys There's a lot of bible stories is it making sense is it coming alive do you see the correlations here esther in chapter 4 verses 8 through 16 you guys know the story For such a time as this, Esther could have become prideful, and she could have been like, Mordecai, just chill out. It's going to be okay. You're just a little loony right now, okay? I'm in here. Everything's all good. It's going to be fine. But she did not see the situation like that, that fearful situation of her people being completely wiped out. So he gave he also gave him a copy of the text of the edict. There's an edict to annihilate all of the Jews. Okay? He wanted, her to, he wanted him to show Esther, to explain it to her, because Mordecai is trying to get Esther the information. Verse 9, Hathok went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they may be put to death. So she's like, listen, I understand now that this is a dire situation. I've got the, I've got the, the lowdown. I've got the, the, the information of what is happening. But if I go to the king right now, I can lose my life. I can die. Fear, guys, real. Fear is real, Right? When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he said to her, Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. She didn't allow pride to hold her back through its manifestation of fear, right? She could have been scared. I would have been scared. Patience over pride, guys. Faith over fear. Wait on the Lord. Trust God. And then we don't even have time. Dude, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, all of those stories of the Old Testament men and women of God, and even when it was being written, in verse 32, and says, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. Through what? "...through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." Verse 35, "...women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, that they might gain a better resurrection." Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They, were, uh, they went about in sheepskins and goat, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. You will not be commended for your fear. You will be commended for your faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You don't conquer kingdoms through fear. You conquer kingdoms through faith. You don't administer justice through fear. You administer justice through faith. You don't gain promises through fear. You gain them through faith. You don't shut the mouths of lions through fear. You shut the mouths of lions through faith. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. When you do it right, when you go through it in faith, filled with the power of God, walking in his spirit, having the armor of God, patience is better than pride. Do not let pride cut you off. And it will manifest itself in very different ways. Number two, we've talked about fear. Do not let fear cut you off. Do not let fear cut off what your end can look like. Because the end of a matter is always better than its beginning when you do it with Jesus, right? Number two, obey God in every season. Do not allow disobedience to cut you off. We have to obey God. When you think about Joseph, the story of Joseph, what he endured, his end was better than his beginning, right? How did he go through his life? He walked humbly with the Lord. Even when his family turned against him, even when he got sold to Egypt in slavery, in Potiphar's house, don't you think Joseph could have gotten prideful? Like, God, where were you? Like, what is this? You're a joke. I had all these dreams. My family does this to me. I'm in Egypt now. Nobody's gonna know. He could have gotten freaky deaky with Potiphar's wife if he wanted to, right? But he didn't allow he didn't allow pride. He didn't allow pride to cut his, cut him off. Joseph, faithful, obedient, fearing God. It was the fear of the Lord that kept Joseph. Fear of God. Walking in obedience, remembering what his father and mother taught him, staying close to the commands to the statutes of the Lord, not wanting anything to do with wickedness, not allowing pride and bitterness and anger towards God to mess him up. Joseph's end was better than his beginning. Ruth, beautiful story. She clung to her mother-in-law, Naomi. You know, representing the covenant of the Israel. The Israelites had with God. Ruth was not a Jew, but she clung. She clung to Ruth, walking in obedience. Her end was better than her beginning. Your obedience is the sign of your maturity. I know I shared it with you guys in different ways through the devotional. Your obedience and everything in your life will show how truly mature you really are. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, We see God giving the blessings for obedience, and we see God giving the curses for disobedience. The blessings for obedience are from verses 1 through 14, and I do want to skim through those a little bit. But the curses for disobedience, guys, is from verse 15 to 68. It's like 14 verses for your blessings. Just do this. Do this and be well, right? Don't do this, and you got like 50 plus verses that's going to come against you. So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and let's just skim through the blessings part. How many of you guys want to hear about how to be blessed, right? How do you be blessed? Through obedience. That's all the Israelites had to do. And you know, for us, it's easy to think back like, y'all were fools. Like it wasn't that hard, guys. Has, didn't God show himself to you? He, he fought all of your battles. Every single one of your battles, literally, you would have won. There would never be any loss of a battle for the Israelites if they got rid of the sin in the camp. But they couldn't get it. And it's no different today than it was for them back then. We each have to decide that we're going to live in obedience to the Lord, no matter the cost. So, Deuteronomy, I'm in chapter 1. Deuteronomy 28, let's just read through that a little bit. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. I want that. What do I have to do to be set above all the nations of the earth? Obey Jesus. Obey his commands. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey The Lord, your God, you will be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops will be blessed. Your land will be blessed. Your baskets will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but they will flee in seven. The Lord will send a blessing Praise the Lord. Verse 8, the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything you put your hand to touch. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people. He promised it on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord and walk in obedience to him. Amen? Then all the peoples will see. He will grant you abundant prosperity. Your Again, your the fruit in your womb will be blessed. Your livestock, everything you put take your hand to touch you will not borrow from nations they will borrow from you you will not lend to them they will bar- uh, you will you will lend to them and they will you will not have to borrow from them do not turn aside from any of the commands i give you today to the right or to the left following other gods and serving them do you guys understand what it means to be obedient to jesus do it right live holy how can a young man keep his way pure? By, by living according to your word. Hide your word in, his, in your heart so that you don't sin against him. And don't make excuses for your disobedience. Humble yourself before the Lord. The Bible says, test me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So think through your life. Think about certain seasons or situations where you weren't, you weren't obeying the Lord. God will always bring you back to that place. You may be able to run. Like, let's say right here, God is telling you to do something. And he's telling you to go this way. And you don't go this way from over here. You go this way. Because you don't want to do that. You don't want to do what he's telling you to do. It's too hard. I'll do it my way. What is that? Pride. That's too hard. I'm going to take the easy way out. You can roam around like they did in the wilderness for 40 years Until you get back to that place where God said, do this my way, and then you'll see the blessing of the Lord. You cannot run away from being obedient to Jesus. You will always find yourself back at that place that he asked you to do what he asked you to do originally. Amen? Can you think of examples in your life where that has happened? Let's live in obedience. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom. There is only one way it is a narrow path many many will enter the wide path broad is the path wide is the road that leads to destruction many enter through it but narrow is the path and only a few find it number 3 cultivate an abiding relationship with the lord the three the three areas that i said that i have observed that can keep us from Seeing our end being better than our beginning because of pride rather than patience was pride manifesting itself through fear, disobedience, and having a religious relationship with Jesus rather than cultivating a relational one. How do you cultivate an abiding relationship with the Lord? You guys know the abiding chapter is in John 15. John 15, 1 through 17 remain in me, and I will remain in you. That is a choice. In order for you to have a relationship with Jesus that is not built on just religion, do's and don'ts, you do this because it's spiritual, you do this out of habit, is when you remain, when you choose to remain in him and cultivate that relationship with him every day through prayer, reading the Bible, being accountable, submitting to your leaders, hearing what they have to say, growing, being obedient, maturing, learning from your mistakes, not quitting. Whatever you do, do not quit. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. Quitting, running away, throwing in the towel, no matter what mistake you've made, is never the answer. Your end will never be better that way. When hardships come, trials, whatever it is, choose to abide in Jesus, because then and only then, Will you bear good fruit? He is the vine, we are the branches. If you remain in me, he says, I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So think to yourselves right now, apart from Jesus, you cannot have a long-lasting marriage. Apart from Jesus, you cannot finish Bible college. Apart from Jesus, you cannot write your next paper. Apart from Jesus, you can never finish this semester. Apart from Jesus, you can never see soul saved. Apart from Jesus, you can never live holy. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. It is not by our might. It is not by our power. It is by the spirit of the living God. Amen? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in me. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. How do we remain in the love of the Father? By obeying his commands. And just as I have kept my Father's commands, remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There is no joy. There is no real joy in life apart from obeying God's commands. Pleasures are temporary. The happiness that you can get from anything in this world will all fade away. True joy, true peace is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone and obeying and embracing all that he tells us to do. Amen? Stay close to Jesus, turn off the distractions and the noise and the busyness of life and sit at his feet and allow him to fill you up until you overflow. There is nothing that we go through that Jesus says, I am not greater than. If you are not making time to allow him to pour into you, that's when burnout happens. We need to learn to be like Mary. Being a Martha is not bad, unless you are not doing what Mary did. Amen? We need to be both. We need to be Mary and Martha. We need to be busy, serving, working, but we cannot do that alone without being in the presence of Jesus. Amen? In closing, I want to take a look. I know we're running out of time. I knew this was going to be long, but we're okay. You guys start class at 1? Oh, perfect. Perfect. I want us to look through some of the things that Paul wrote because I really want to tie this up right now. Tie tie this all together for you to see what it looks like when somebody like Paul the Apostle calls out certain people and how how you compare and contrast certain people's ends to their beginning, right? And I cannot read the epistles, especially Paul's letters, without viewing them through the lens of everything that we experienced. The Bible has been made so much more alive and relevant to me in this season than ever before. I'm seeing things I never saw before. I'm reading things in a different from a different perspective and that's a good thing. We're not the same church we were before June. That's just that that is just fact. And as individuals, we all should be growing from glory to glory to glory. So God shows us things in the word and we'll never get to a place where we know everything about the bible god will always show us new things we'll always see scripture it will never be boring guys guys listen reading the bible and living for jesus will never be boring there is something new every day to experience, something new every day to learn. You can read the same passage of Scripture over and over and over, and it will always have a different application. I, I probably read all of these verses in probably six chapels that I've preached in the last year, last school year, and this school year. What, six chapels? I have probably used all the same verses. It's never, it never gets old. Whew. So when you read Paul's epistles, specifically we're going to be in 2 Timothy, all over the place in 2 Timothy. He has a description. He has a way of describing faithful and unfaithful laborers. In 2 Timothy 1, 15 through 18, we read about Phygelus and Hermogenes. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the whole household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. That's it. So that those two people their end how they were remembered was deserting Paul in Asia. Right? That that was their end. But Eunus he was a refreshment. He wasn't he wasn't ashamed of Paul's chains. 2 Timothy 2:16 2, through 18. 2 Timothy 2:16 2, through 18. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Himanius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Don't you just love Paul? He's blasting everybody's name. He'll bless people that he wants to bless. Remember the church that meets in So-and-so's house. Remember this sister. She was dear to me. She was a help in my ministry. These guys, they deserted me. These guys, they're preaching heresy. Done. Done. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. 2 Timothy 4, I'm going to just skip around, skim around. For I, this is Paul. Now listen to the difference with Paul's confession. So those people, their confe- they quit. That person, Himanius Hyman- and Philetus, they departed from the truth. They backslid. This, These two, Phygellus and Hermogenes, they deserted Paul. They're like, yeah, we're out. We don't want that. And they didn't have another church to go run to. They couldn't go hide somewhere else. Paul's like, you deserted us. God will deal with you, right? Listen to Paul's confession. His end of the journey, everything that he went through, his end was better than his beginning. His beginning was rough. He persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. He, he killed Christians. He had Christians in different places, martyred, winning going house to house, taking Christians out of their homes, separating from their families. And then everything that he endured as an apostle, Right? For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He didn't keep the fear. He kept the faith in the face of fear. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will appoint to me, award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to you, all of you who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas... Because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me, etc., etc. That's Paul's exiting speech. I finished the race. I fought the fight. This guy, he left me. This guy, he loved the world. He went, went backslid. But this is what I'm doing. This is my end. My end was better than my beginning, right? Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Verse 14, do you understand you're ending what you do matters in the kingdom. You can't run away from accountability. You can't run away from the consequences of your choices and actions when you throw in the towel, refuse to submit yourself to God and the church. Your submissive relationship to your leaders is telling of the submissive nature of your relationship to Christ. You cannot be one way in the church and one way with Jesus Don't tell me you're obeying Jesus and have an amazing spiritual life when we see your rebellion and pride in the church. It doesn't work like that. When you're all nasty, causing problems, right, being a busybody, gossiping, you ain't right with Jesus. You have a pseudo understanding of who you are in Christ. Your submissive relationship and marriage to your husband, wives, your submission to your husband is telling of your submission to Christ. You're not submitting to your husband. You are not submitting to Jesus. Do not be fooled. How you lead and care for your wife, husbands, is a direct reflection of your submission to Christ. Be a leader, and you are only a leader in the house when you are submitting to Jesus and allowing him to teach you how to lead and care for the affairs in your household. We were made for relationship. We were made for communion with God and his church. It is vital. It is important because without both, our end can be dire. We are made for accountability. Amen? Let's all stand up in prayer. I'm going to close out with Hebrews chapter 10. You don't have to put it up, sir. I want you guys to just receive. praise the Lord. Did you guys receive something from this message today? Guys, the end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. If there's something else that God wants you to glean from that passage, ask him. But that was that was my reflection. I want my ending to be better than my beginning. And the only way I can guarantee that is if I do not give in to fear, is if I Live in obedience to Jesus and I cultivate a relationship, an abiding relationship with Christ, and I submit myself to God and the church through that. In Hebrews chapter 10, Lords, can you come to the keys, please? Thank you. In closing, I want to read this passage as an encouragement to us. In Hebrews chapter 10, this passage of scripture from 19 to 39 is it's a call to persevere in faith. A call to persevere in faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Fear cannot bring assurance, guys. Faith brings assurance. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Excuse me. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another all of the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. But only a fearful expectation and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You think what we face in this life is more f- fearful than falling into the hands of the living God? absolutely not it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living god it's better to go through something so afraid in this life and never turn our back on jesus never turn our back on his truth on his church and just ride it to the end and see the deliverance of the lord remember those earlier days after you had received the lights when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution, and other times you stood stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you persevere doing the will of God. No matter what the will of God looks like, you persevere doing the will of God. You will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. They will not cower in fear. We will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. If you want to please God and have him find pleasure in you, do not shrink back in times of trouble, in times of hardship, in times of chaos, in times of persecution, in times when you have to lay it all down and say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Amen? Come on, give it up for Jesus. Give him a loud hallelujah in this place. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, O God. We declare that our end will be better than our beginning. The end of what you have for Metro Praise International will be greater than its former years, O God because you are worthy. The end of our life will be better than our beginning. Come on, start decreeing and declaring that over your life right now. The end of what? Come on, speak it, be specific. The end of your Bible college education will be better than the beginning years. Even though you struggled, even though sometimes you failed, even though sometimes you got written up, say, Jesus, today I am declaring that I will not fear, hold me back from graduating. I will not allow disobedience to keep me from fulfilling your call, oh God. I will allow a cultivated relationship with you where I abide in you, Jesus, not out of religion, but out of faith, God, I will allow that to make my end better than my beginning every single season, every single season, in every single day, oh God. Come on, let's start speaking in tongues all across this room. Jesus, let this word marinate in our hearts, oh God. Let it marinate in our hearts. All the examples that we have, from men and women in the Bible, may we remember their examples. May we rel- maybe remember their lessons. May we learn from their lessons, oh God. Shotorobobokira.